For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Gerhardt's back. The more things change, the more they stay the same. From NJ1015.com, this is the new Jim Gerhardt Podcast. And good morning, New Jersey. It is Thursday, June 18th. I'm Bob Williams. Welcome to the Jim Gerhardt Podcast with Jim Gerhardt and... Jim, among the things we're going to be talking about today, uh, when George Orwell wrote 1984, would he ever have imagined that it would turn out worse than he thought? No, I don't don't know if it's worse yet, but I think it's tending in that general direction. It's interesting. You you already have an Orwellian society in China. I mean, I'll just write down the line. And uh, we are sort of tending that way. The uh, remember the hero in uh, 1984. His job was changing history. <laughs> yeah. He said in he, this bureau of whatever it was, <laughs> bureau of bullfucking, it amounted to, and he sat there and he changed daily what happened to be the news yesterday to make it fit what Big Brother had dictated was the fact. So yesterday they were behind in their quota for what toilet plungers or something, and today. Thanks to the intervention of Big Brother, they're, they're, they're running all over the place. They're drowning in them. But anyway, that sort of stuff. And it was all rewritten every day. And this is what we're getting now with this business of rewriting history. Of uh, You mentioned something that disturbed you very much. Uh, not only the statues going down and the, all the symbols and the mythologies of the past by which we lived. All of this being exterminated but now you're talking about changing the name of schools in new jersey now i know they've done that in some places but uh you were talking to, i think to dan alexander our good newsman this morning about that what, what's the story on that well there there's a talk in clifton of uh name changes for some of the schools i believe there's a uh a christopher columbus middle school or an elementary school and there's also a woodrow wilson school in clifton so what did Woodrow Wilson do to offend them? Well, from, from what we're uh, researching, uh, Woodrow <laughs> Wilson was a supporter of segregation back in the day. Woodrow Wilson, of course, the only U.S. president who hailed from New Jersey, yeah. uh, Governor Woodrow Wilson from New Jersey, and apparently had uh, connections with segregation, or he was a big uh, supporter of that. So, hence, uh, strike his name from the schools. That's the opinion uh, that's coming around. Well, you could strike the name of half the presidents who had lived during that particular era, because those were pretty much the laws of the land at the time. Not good ones, but that's what it was, and they were operating accordingly. So, uh, now Woodrow Wilson, uh, are, are they going to tear down Drumthwacket now? That's a good point. I mean, he's got a lot of issues, a lot of ties to Princeton. So, uh... well, Princeton, but in, they have his office, which I've been in a good number of times, in the governor's mansion, Woodrow Wilson's office. Uh, right. In New Jersey, when right. he was uh, right. when he was right. governor of New Jersey, of course, he, he, he used it sometime when he was president. Even I don't know now. Richard Stockton, they went after. I have no idea who Richard Stockton was, but I remember they were going to tear his statue down at the college. Uh, and I don't know if they did or not. One thing that 
it rather surprised me is that maybe I missed it, but I thought there'd be more pushback on the uh, uh, the Columbus denigration that's going on uh, because the Columbus is a hero to a lot of Italian Americans who generally have not been very shy in expressing their their feelings. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I saw a story that uh, some men, I believe it was in, in uh, Philadelphia, South Philadelphia, had surrounded a statue of Christopher Columbus, who's very big there, of course, in, in their community. And they were defying anybody to deface it. But I don't I didn't see anything later what happened to it. Oh, even even Abraham Lincoln. And where was that in, in Boston, wasn't it? Uh, in going Stanford, yes. Of, huh? yes, I so, believe that you're, you're correct. Yeah, up in Boston. So yeah. Is the Lincoln Memorial going to stand? Is anything going to be left? This is getting down to be just that absurd. But again, I think the left considers itself having won this battle. And winners get to choose what history is. This has always been the case. Whoever won the war gets to determine who was the good guy and the bad guy. Oh, speaking, speaking of that, i got to do something here. I want to rename this bunch. Uh-huh. And I've not been able to come up with a good name for them. This is the, the left, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the loony left and, and all of their, their cohorts, their homies and associates. Uh, because I, I, I have difficulty associating that with the Democratic Party having been a supporter of theirs for a while. 1968, I was out there. We were out with, her, with other people loudly supporting Eugene McCarthy, who was about as liberal as they come. But uh, so I have a sort of a history of that association with it and, and some affection for it in that day. Now, that party probably still exists among people, but not among the leadership. Uh, but how about, how about, remember the movie The Blob? Oh, yeah. Classic, 1950s. Yeah, Steve McQueen. And, and this, this to me sort of says what's going on. The blob is this sinister, malignant ooze <laughs> that, that came from nobody knows where. And it's taking over. It's devouring everything in its path. And I think this is what we got. It relentlessly removing over the, uh, just consuming everything all. So I think I shall start referring to them as the blob. Yeah. So what I do understand, I, I don't know, you could lump all of these special groups, interest groups that have sprung up or interest or so-called communities uh, who are sort of amalgamating themselves within some framework of, of left, whatever, ideology. But interestingly, it, it's all an ideology with no end plan. So when the dog who's been chasing cars finally catches the car, which these people find themselves in control, what do they do? What does the dog do when he catches a car? Well, he doesn't have any idea what to do. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You, but, but the, uh, the changing the name of school, they have done that. There was, there, I remember back in the uh, 60s, after the assassination of President Kennedy, there was a huge wave of changing street names and school names to John F. Kennedy School or Street. Right. So this this is not unprecedented, uh, and I do know in the uh, the civil rights sort of rebellion of the '60s, there turned out to be there's a whole lot of Martin Luther King schools and Martin Luther King streets and and other people, some local people who were considered to be heroes in the uh, the racial uh, civil wave of time back in the '60s. Yeah. It's not unprecedented. 
and uh, there have been a few changed. But if this appears to be something of a wave of anything that has anything to do with uh, the the country as it is perceived by the people who are trying to replace it and overthrow it, uh, they want to do away with. And of course, the one of the difficulties there in this thing is that to a certain extent, at people's attitudes uh, toward the country, toward race, other things are to a large extent generational because people fundamentally are given a map of the world. This is how the world works when you're very, very young. And it's very hard to get rid of that map. And so here you, you grow up and, and you see the country. This is how things should be. This is how they were. This is how our taught. This is how they are. All of a sudden, now we have a generation or so who still live by the old values. Love of God, country. Uh, you depend on the government to keep you safe. We depend on the government to, uh, to, to keep the economy stable. We love the country. That was always taught the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and the whole thing, which is kind of going by the wayside because here you seem to have generations coming up now who have not been given the same map. Right. And it's very hard to tear up your map of the world <laughs> as it has been funneled into you by your environment when you're very young and your brain is wired that way. The whole neurotransmission system is based on that, uh, the subconscious, if you want. And you don't just say, hey, I think I'm going to change my mind. Occasionally you do. This is metanoia or instant religious conversion or some great shock can change your, but your picture. But you still have the same picture. So I think we have one picture that is right now it's almost passe. And then here's another picture coming in that uh, a generation who has been taught in school that the country is not good. You don't love the country. You don't have to. You have great resentment for authority, and it's an entirely different world. It's very difficult for the older ones to adjust to that. So uh, much that's playing into this, I think, is, is almost biological. Yeah. And so we, we do resist that. But how far the resistance goes, I, I do not know. But uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's like looking into the snake eye of hysteria. <laughs> to see what's going on, and trying to place yourself in it. Where do I place? Well, here's, here's my map of the world that I was given, or the country. We don't seem to be following that map. And so something in you sort of rebels against that. How many there are, I don't know. And this is going to be very interesting because I think it plays into the next presidential election. Uh, I think a lot of this has to do with the election year. A lot yeah. of it. Uh, because... When we do have the blob, and the blob, it's working, it's living by intimidation. But there are a lot of people who don't agree with it, but they're afraid to say anything about it. So now, that, we, so, that's so, asking for trouble because you're suppressing your resistance to it, and it's going to get deeper, and that's going to cause great anger to a lot of people. Now, how is it? 65 million people voted for Donald Trump. Now, I don't know how many will coming up. But I think the Trump uh, campaign, which uh, obviously is in full gear now, is doing something that I don't know if it's calculated, but it may be brilliant. 
And that is kind of laying low in this whole thing. I don't see, well, he's out there, of course, but I don't see, he's not joining in this lifelong, or, 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 or not lifelong, but, but this, this, this thrust, this thrust now for everybody getting on the side of, this, of the blob at the moment, the way the blob is expressing itself. And so your politicians are all doing that. Trump has not committed himself, so far as I know, to active support of any of these groups. And so when the election comes, if enough people have become very resentful, really, of the intimidation that's put on them, the political correctness has been doing this for 30 years now, making people pretend or feel that they believe and act as if something that is completely a fantasy is real. So the, the, the point is, if enough of this resentment boils up and they're not a people, the polls are going to mean nothing, because if you're polled now, you figure, OK, well, if I tell the pollster that I'm supporting Trump, I may lose my job, you know, eventually, or I'll be the object of scorn or, or something or mayhem of one form or another. Uh, and so you hold it in. But then it may just burst come election time when you can go into the polls. Although now with the polling by mail, you don't know who's going to look at it <laughs> and who's going to make a list of who you voted for. See, all of these things are. Are, are very very frightening but and we're not maybe there yet but we're moving in that particular direction so it could be and i think a question i'd ask is has donald trump jumped the shark and you know that uh, jumping the shark has come to mean uh, sort of a symbol for when something has run its course and is about over i'll read now from the book about jumping the shark it says jumping the shark refers to a movement on happy days the tv show Fonzie. Yeah. Fully clad in his leather jacket while on water skis, literally jumps over a shark in the Pacific Ocean. Anyone who was watching knew that very instant that the show <laughs> would never be the same. They should have before they taped that episode, yeah. Yeah, well, I think once we saw Trump with these daily briefings, <laughs> you wondered, I said, oh my God, I mean, something is not right here. Uh, so here we're faced with a candidate, two candidates who seem to be in some kind of cognitive decline. But did that by Trump with his endless, endless uh, what continuation of his subjects uh, during that, did he actually jump the shark? Which means you say, oh, man, that's it. I mean, it's, it's all downhill from then on. Or is the Democratic Party jumping its own shark by pushing this and supporting the blob? Uh, which would build up a resistance among a lot of people who are not going to say it out loud. And I've had people tell me that back when I was doing the morning show. And you'd wonder, why aren't people upset about this? And I get calls from people say, look, we're upset. We just can't say anything <laughs> yeah. for, for fear. Uh, like, uh, well, just grab an example out of this out of the air. A couple of examples here. An excellent elementary school teacher up in one of the North Jersey towns lost her job because this, this goes back a few years and she lost her job because the school was going to do some kind of a gay pride exhibit among, you know, the little children hanging up pictures and lectures and visits and everything. And she had an email private conversation with somebody who says, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, uh, you know, as a, a religiously as i was brought up i don't i'm not comfortable with this especially with children well she was axed 
So we had, we've had things like that going on for a long, long time. So I, I suppose what I'm thinking, when do people reach the tipping point that they can't take the intimidation anymore? I don't know. But uh, there. Yeah. But, uh, so I think, I think, like you said, five months is a long time before the election. And yeah. a lot of people are just reserving judgment right now. And I think the entire landscape is going to change. You've seen how many times it's changed since just January. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. From points of peril to points of you know positivity down to peril. And it's been a, a pendulum. And now we're in one of those downward swings. So, and the inconsistency of it. Now, now we are told that there's going to be a fall resurgence of the coronavirus in all probability. Probably more than one over the yeah. next two or three years. Right now, right now, we have epidemics again going in cases in Florida and Texas. And I think Arizona is the other state, if I'm not mistaken. Those are so, the first states that apparently opened uh, or, yeah, or yeah. really closed. And, so, like we did. and yeah. so here we get the same government in some of these states, not, not, not in these particular states, but some of the states where they have had draconian rules about uh, behavior. Wearing the mask and don't get closer than six feet. The whole thing, social distancing, stay in your house, stay away. And the complete opposite of that, once the, the, the chaos and the rioting started, they went over to the side of the rioters. Nobody stopped that, but they would arrest somebody and find somebody, individual, for walking within three feet of somebody down the street when you're supposed to keep six feet distance. They were very draconian. Was it Michigan, Illinois, some of these states? Very draconian in their enforcement of that New York. But all of a sudden, when the trouble concerned, everybody's out there jammed in together any way they want, yelling and screaming and burning and looting. And so the government in these states did nothing. And in the state of Washington, I understand they, they told the police, just stay back, stay out of it. And here were people in businesses who were being destroyed calling the police. In one case, these people in the store had caught the looter. And they called the police. Nobody ever showed up. You know, weeks later, nobody checked up on the call. Uh, and so this kind of stuff was going on. So it's, there's this tremendous inconsistency now. And I suppose part of our problem is we don't know how to react. What do you say? How can you talk anymore? What, what is it? Uh, what are the words this week that right. you don't use? What, what is the sacred cow this week? But anyway, going into the election, very, very interesting what's happening. And uh, certain amount of it is, is rather scary because I don't think either candidate is what standing out as some paragon <laughs> of right. stability, certainly. Right. Uh, so uh, where it goes, who knows? The, the, the business with the police is uh, that to me is the most disturbing thing that's going on. We have always, I guess, at the radio station sort of taken a tact of supporting police. Yes. I know back during, and I won't get into details because I hope people will remember this back in the 90s, the racial profiling frenzy that went on. Uh, there was a time, and this sounds like a ridiculous exaggeration, but it's not an exaggeration. And I think some of the old timers in the state police will tell you that this is the case. Eric Scott, our news director, and I, only two people in media, all media, who were supporting the state police. Now, that's ridiculous, and it was all based on a complete utter absurdities. So there's almost been rehearsals for this crap that's going on right now. Right. And uh, the, uh, led by a newspaper, the Star-Ledger, they had deposed 
one of the finest men I've ever had the honor of knowing. It was Colonel Carl Williams as the superintendent of the state police. He was deposed because he gave an interview and was baited into something that the newspaper decided was somehow racist. And he got called by Governor Whitman and lost his job. What he had done was exactly delineating what the Clinton administration department of, uh, uh, what was the drug enforcement agency, had as the profile of a drug trafficker on this drug alley, which is New York, the Turnpike and the Parkway. And he was quoting them. But all of a sudden, because there was a racial implication in there, in addition to some other uh, things in the profile, he lost the job. Mm. Everybody. And now, of course, what happened was her uh, her uh, attorney general at the time, who had been Governor Kane's driver, he did well in, in business, ended up an attorney for Governor Whitman. Then he was put on this real quickly. He was made the. Uh, uh, oh, for heaven's sake, the attorney general. And so he had put down the orders for the state police to use this profile. The federal government had given a democratic government had given him. He loses the job. Now, this became such a boon to lawyers, the race hustlers at the time, because they ended up with this claim of this uh, racial profiling and discrimination, criminals being let out of jails. A bunch of lawyers who are representing him says, we play our cards right. We can churn this for a million uh, for a billion dollars. And it was all hell going on had broken loose with that thing. So in order to make the attorney general, the administration, uh, to make them immune from their part in this, which the whole game was their idea, she quickly put him on the Supreme Court, got somebody to retire and slammed him up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court members are immune from prosecution for former uh, I guess less than you know serious crimes, but anyway, all of this stuff went on before, and uh, the so the police have, have been in this position before in New Jersey. Do you know uh, right now? Uh, there's talk among all of these reforms in, in the uh, in policing that they're talking about sending out recruiters to recruit minority people for police now. In back in the 90s, the state, the same thing came out, a reform. They sent a big bus. The state police had some kind of a very well decorated and appointed bus. They sent out to go to all of these North Jersey, these uh, these these essentially black areas, recruiting people with inducements to go to the police academy. They didn't. People wouldn't buy it. People did not buy that. And they were afraid in their own community to look like they were turning their back on, you know, what that culture was there. Now, there also was a plan at that time afoot that you had to have a college degree to become a member of the New Jersey State Police. That got shot down by the minority people claiming that was unfair to them. Right. So I started getting phone calls on the air from young men who described themselves as being African-American, who were extremely bright, and they were furious about this uh, what relaxation of the, the demand for a college education. A couple of these kids told me, look, we, that's why we stayed in school. We want to do this. We, we, this is what we want to do. Now they're, they're losing what all of the stuff that we did, the years we put in school and working hard to get there, 
are of no value because anybody now can become a member. So, uh, so there's so many double standards going on in this whole thing. But one thing that I think is relevant, the conversation I had with uh, during that particular time with a young man, again, a very intelligent young man who described himself as black. Of course, you find out very quickly working in talk radio, you can't tell. Uh, whether somebody's telling the truth or not, but obviously this man was. And he said, here's what's wrong. I was defending the police, and they were under severe fire. He said, here's what's wrong. You were taught, you were told that the policeman is your friend. He is there to help you and protect you. I was taught that the policeman is my enemy, and that he is there simply to make me uh, to do unpleasant things to me. And there's a whole lot of truth to that because it gets back to what we were talking about, how you're programmed when you're young. And so here we're, you, you're going to see this in two entirely different ways. So my experience with police has been extremely positive, and I will not get into it, but there are very re good reasons why this was built into my neural wiring when I was very, very young. Uh, and this young man, he had the complete opposite that was built into his. And I think it, it, this is a, a cultural problem. Well, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, summertime coming this weekend. And yeah, we're all, all set for a nice, hot, sultry weekend. And hope you have a good one. And we'll be back here next Thursday, same time, same station. Okay, thank you, Bob. Thanks, everybody. God be with you. Please take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.